Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and one of my favorite 80s action movies is Aliens. Game over, man. Game over. (laughs) And I'm Jesse, and one of my favorite 1980s action movies is Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. You have chosen wisely. (laughs) (laughs) We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes Uh, to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. Stuff is fast, God So what are we talking about on this episode, Conrad? Well, Jesse, today we are talking about what What does does it mean mean to be a Christian? Two, three, four. What does it mean to be a Christian? Christian, 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 Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Christian, Christian. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so people throw the term Christian around all the time. But there's a ton of confusion to what it means to be a Christian, even amongst self-proclaiming Christians. And here's the thing. How we answer that question actually has real consequences. So in today's episode, we're going to get to the core of what it means to be a Christian to determine if we are one and also how to be an effective one. So let's let's do it. So what I see is that people use the term Christian in a bunch of different ways. Like I'll hear sociologists call America a Christian nation or a post-Christian nation. Right. Or sometimes people will refer to themselves as Christian because that's their tradition or culture that they were brought up in, like they celebrate Christmas and Easter. Right. And sometimes when it's used, it's maybe used to describe a set of principles like Christian ideals or mm-hmm. maybe a certain group of people like that. They're a Christian family. Yeah. So it often gets slapped as a label on all kinds of things in an undiscriminatory kind of way. Right. So I did a bit of digging into how most people answered the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I found a survey done by Pew Research who did a survey of what are the essentials of what it means to be a Christian? So one of the questions was, is belief in God essential to being a Christian? And out of all the respondents, what percentage do you think would answer yes to the question if belief in God is essential to being a Christian? I hope it's 100%, because if we're talking about a worldview that believes in a higher power, and that power is God, it should be all the time, everywhere, everybody believes that they're saying they're a Christian. Right. But the percentage of people who said that belief in God was essential to being a Christian was only 86%. What? It just seems so shocking because that's like an essential element of being a Christian is believing there's a God. Right. And <laughs> what struck me about the survey is they asked about other things like honesty and going to church or helping the poor and even dressing modestly. But a belief in Christ wasn't even one of the questions asked. You would think that a survey about being a Christian would at least mention the name of Christ. Christian means follower of Christ. So it's crazy ironic that the Christian survey would not have a question about Christ. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? (laughs) 
So what this shows to me is that so many people don't know what it means to be a Christian that even the makers of the survey don't even know what questions to ask. So they end up asking questions about what a Christian does rather than what a Christian believes. Right. This is a classic example of how when it comes to the definition of Christianity, what happens is people often get confused between the attributes or characteristics of those who are Christian versus the actual belief system from which those attributes and characteristics come. Mm -hmm. And so we get caught up in what is peripheral on the outside. They look or they act a certain way. They don't swear or they seem to be really grateful about what they have. And all those things are in a sense true. But they are not the root of the tree. They're the leaves. And what we're after is what are the roots that Christians sink down deep that identify who they are? So why is it important that we get this right? It's important because when we're answering the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? We're actually answering another question. What does God expect of us? So because this is such an abstract idea. We've come up with a little number called Salsa. The Musical! Ooh, a customer. Welcome to my restaurant. Is there anything that you want? Yes, I'll start with tortilla chips and salsa to go with it. Now, could that have come any faster? Because this looks like ketchup What's the difference? I don't know They're both made of tomatoes Are you a comedian? They've got different ingredients So size like being a Christian So size a life being a Christian So I have all the ingredients Correctly mixed and fixed But you brought it on a napkin like this It's supposed to be served on a dish So now I think I've met your goal Cause now I have it in a It's a topping that goes with the trips. So size like being a Christian. Cause they both have three things, so I don't relist them. One, ingredients are mixed. Two, you serve it on a dish. Three, you give it relationship. So size like being a Christian. Oh, so real salsa is like being a real Christian because they both need three things to be complete. One, they both need the right ingredients. Two, they need to be displayed. And three, they both need relationship. So in the case of being a Christian, 
It's first knowing the truth about Christ Then it's showing you know him by how you live And the third thing that completes it Is when you bring his love into your relationships It's first knowing the truth about Christ Then it's showing you know him by how you live And the third thing that completes it Is when you bring his love into Amazing. Okay. So what can we learn? So obviously most of us can tell the difference between salsa and ketchup. And if we went into a restaurant and ordered salsa and got ketchup, I guarantee you would speak up and say, this was not the thing that I ordered. So if that's true, something like small and mundane, like condiments, that there's an actual definition that they have certain ingredients which define them, then how much more could that be true of something that's much, much bigger, like what it means to be a Christian? Right. So, something only has meaning when you look at why that something's creator brought it into existence. What is the creator's intent? So, in the case of salsa, I might say, I want to make salsa so my tortilla chips taste better. So, now, my meaning for salsa's existence is specific ingredients to be served with tortilla chips. So, separate ingredients doesn't complete my meaning of the salsa's existence. It's sitting in a bowl on my table doesn't complete my meaning of salsa's existence either. It only completes its meaning when it is finally eaten with the chips. So it is only when I have all three phases is when the meaning of salsa's existence is achieved. So when we slide this analogy over to the meaning of being a Christian, what we're really trying to do is figure out God's intent for the existence of Christians. And it'll be helpful to look at these three parts as three different locations. One, in the kitchen of our mind, two, in the bowl of our heart, and three, on the plate of our relationships. So the meaning of being a Christian can be answered when we answer all three parts. One, in the kitchen of our mind, what are the core ingredients or beliefs God wants us to know? Two, in the bowl of our heart, how does God want these beliefs to be displayed in the life of a Christian? And three, on the plate of our relationships, how does God want these beliefs to affect our relationships? So in essence, God has ordered Christian salsa, and if we give him ketchup, he'll send it back. So let's first start in the kitchen of our mind. 
What are the right ingredients for Christian salsa? So just like we might consult a recipe card or somewhere online to get a sense for how we can make salsa, what the ingredients are, the place where we can go to understand what it means to be a Christian is the Bible, which is God's inspired word, his direct instruction to us that tells us the truth about reality. And in the Bible, we find that there are three essential ingredients to being a Christian. Right. And these three essential ingredients are the three major claims Christ made about himself. So, Jesse, what is the first of the three major claims Christ made of himself? And the first essential belief that we must hold about Jesus, according to the scriptures, is that he is the son of God. So, in the book of Matthew in the Bible, Jesus actually asks his followers, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so what does the Son of God mean? So what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus is actually the second person in the Trinity. He's the very being and substance of God, and he's equal with God the Father, just like we learn in this passage. So the doctrine of the Trinity has usually been formulated with this language of three persons, one essence. And what that means is there is only one God, there is the Father God, there's the Son of God, and there's the Holy Spirit. All three are God. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all distinct persons from one another, as different as people are distinct from one another, and yet they share a common essence or substance. Right. And while that sounds really confusing, it's actually not a contradiction. And the reason why, like you said, this isn't a contradiction is because we can only understand one person, one essence, because that's how we are made. And so it's hard for our minds to conceive that there could be something else. But to have three persons in one essence is not a contradiction. Mm-hmm. What we're just saying is that the unity of the one God is complex. The three personal substances, as they're called, are co-equal, means they're all on the same level, and they're co-eternal centers of self-awareness, which is just a fancy way for saying that they are separate and distinct, each partaking in the full divine essence, the stuff of deity. You can think of it that way. Right. So the first ingredient is we must believe that Jesus is God. So the second essential belief that we must have about Jesus is that he is truly God, and truly man. Right. So when the Bible speaks about Jesus coming, God giving his son, we often use this fancy term incarnation. Mm -hmm. And just like if you were to go to that Mexican restaurant and actually get salsa for your taco, you might have carne, which is just meat. And so when we talk about God becoming flesh or incarnation, it's Jesus taking on a human nature. Mm -hmm. And so he has these two distinct natures, God and man, and they were joined together in one person, but they were not opposed to one another and they're not confused with one another. And theologians have a term for this. It's super fun. It's called the hypostatic union. Ooh, fancy. Super fun. And it's a reference to the fact that Jesus was both God and man, truly divine and truly human. So the second ingredient that we have to believe is that Jesus is God the Son who humbled himself to be in the form of a human. So now what is the third and final ingredient? The third ingredient is Jesus is our mediator. Exactly. And oftentimes we pair the name Jesus with a title that comes after it, like Jesus Christ, or he is the Christ. Mm -hmm. 
And Christ is not Jesus's last name, as in like, he's Mr. Christ. <laughs> Christ is actually a title, whether we understand that when we're using it that way or not, it means anointed. In other words, Jesus had a special task. He was identified in a special way. And that title that he was given was a mediator. Now, of course, a mediator is someone that comes in between parties who are at odds in order to reconcile them. Okay, so who is being reconciled? So when God originally created mankind and he placed Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden where everything was perfect and they were at peace with one another, there was no need for a mediator between God and man. Because even though there was an infinite distance between God's nature and what it was like to be a man, there was no variance between these parties. There was no disagreement. They lived at peace and in unity in the garden which God had created. But when the first humans, Adam and Eve, sinned, when they disobeyed God's orders in the garden, everything was altered. God was dishonored. He was highly offended. Man was alienated from God and subjected to God's judicial displeasure. And so the problem here was that because man had disobeyed God's rules, there was no way to satisfy and restore that relationship, which had been violated. There was need of a mediator because Adam and Eve couldn't go back and undo what they had done. And so if man was to be restored to the favor before God and to have his relationship repaired, it would require another person, a perfect representative to atone for his guilt and lay the foundation of peace. And so the Bible often uses this other theological term called atonement. And what that means is it's to avert punishment, especially divine anger, by the payment of some kind of ransom. You can think of it as at one with God, being restored together in relationship. But somebody had to come who was truly God and truly man to represent both parties perfectly. Right. And with that, we have our three ingredients of Christianity. Jesus is God, Jesus is both God and man, and Jesus is our mediator. So, how do we move from the kitchen to the serving bowl? So, we can't just know that Christ is God. Christ must be our God. And if he is our God, then that means we submit to him, we submit to his authority, and that's typically what we mean by putting your faith in Christ or being saved. You're becoming a follower of him. And this can initially be done in a prayer where you pray for forgiveness and lovingly submit your life to Christ. So it is this love for Christ and his commands that leads to the salsa being in a dish. And when you have the right ingredients, these ingredients are going to look and smell a certain way. And the challenging thing about this is that means that we should be able to identify a Christian outwardly. In other words, it's not just about believing the right thing or having the right thoughts on in the inside of your mind, but that God has actually set it up that a Christian should be able to be seen from the outside because of the behaviors that they exhibit. Right. So it's not really about doing good works. It's more about being like Christ, who is the standard of goodness itself. So doing good works is a byproduct of being like Christ. Like if you are a Christ tree, you will have Christ fruit. So really a Christian is a Christ tree. So people should be able to look at your fruit and see if you're a Christ tree or not. And the Bible calls the fruit of this Christ tree the fruit of the Spirit. There's two main lists, but we ultimately get 10 fruit from the Christ tree. Love, joy, peace, patience— Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and humility. This is found in Galatians 5 and Ephesians 4. 
And the thing is, this is a process. So when we become a Christian, what happens? I'm glad you asked, Conrad, because when God saves us and makes us a Christian, two things happen. One is that we become what theologians call positionally sanctified. That means that God brings us into his family, but we're not perfect. We still have flaws. He's still work he wants to do in our lives. And that will continue until we go to meet him in heaven. And so the second part is what's called progressive sanctification. It's becoming more and more and more like Jesus because we're spending time in relationship with God and God is using the circumstances of our life to make him more like his son, Jesus. Right. So as Christians, we admit our sins. And when we critique ourselves, just like in basketball, you might say, I'm terrible at dribbling and I keep on turning the ball over. You might be able to say something like, I'm terrible at patience because I lose my temper with my family constantly. So let me work on patience. Or I'm terrible at having peace because of the loneliness I feel from being single. So let me work on peace. Or I always get annoyed with those I disagree with politically. So I need to work on love. So any situation in life can help you grow the fruit of the Spirit because the bad situations themselves can highlight which fruit of the Spirit we're missing. So being a Christian doesn't mean your life is perfect, but that your character is moving towards Christ's perfect example. And you're going to have ups and downs, and maybe sometimes you just feel like you're constantly just messing everything up. The good news that God has for us is that even when we screw up, even when we mess up, even when we think that we are as low as we possibly can be, that God won't forgive us, that we're now outside of his love, we know that that's not true and that in every way, God's truth is greater and more important than how we feel. And what we know to be true is that God has saved us. And in saving us, he holds us steadfast and he brings even those low feelings are allowed to come into our lives because that's part of the sanctification process. Right. So now that we have our Christian salsa in a bowl, we can now go to the last part where we can start fulfilling our purpose, moving to the plate, which is to be in loving relationship with others. So Jesus Christ's top command is to love God and others, and love can only be expressed in relationship. So when God saves you, he brings you into the family this Christian family, which is a spiritual family. And at the same time, he says to love your spiritual brothers and sisters. And that looks like giving to the church, both with your resources and your time. It looks like helping out and being concerned for the safety and the welfare of your other spiritual brothers and sisters. And of course, it means serving this whole body, this whole group of Christians together with your time and your resources. Right. So love can only be expressed in relationship. So that's why you hear Christ saying, love your neighbor as yourself. He even says, love your enemies. So the message of Christ is ultimately a message of love, which must be shown in all your relationships. So knowing all that, what do we do now? And basically, there's two groups of people who are listening to this. There are those that maybe claim to be Christians, and there are those maybe that would say they're not Christian. So that means that we're going to have different types of application for how we understand these ingredients. So if you're not already a follower of Christ and you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, and all you have to do is download a Bible app to your phone and start reading what we call the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament. These four books specifically cover the eyewitness historical events of the life of Christ. So it talks about what he did and what he taught. 
And one of the things that you can do, even if you're not a Christian, but you're interested in learning more, is to say a simple prayer that you might ask God to help you understand what you're reading in his own book that he's given to us. And if, as you hear this, you sense that you are a sinner, but that you want to be reunited with God, that you know that you need a mediator and you believe that that mediator is Jesus Christ, the really good news is that you may pray to God, ask for forgiveness of your sins, repent of those sins, and be welcomed into the family. Right. So ultimately start with learning about Christ through the Bible and through prayer, ask for understanding of what you're reading. So the second category of people listening to this podcast are followers of Christ. So to figure out what we can practically do, we look at our plate. What chips are on your plate? And have you put Christian salsa on it? So, how can we show the love of Christ to others in real life? Showing the love of Christ is ultimately helping others to love Christ and be more like Christ. This is actually ministry. And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5 to start with our immediate family and work outwards. So, with your spouse, marriage is not a way to make you feel good about yourselves. Biblical marriage is ultimately two people helping each other to be more like Christ. You can do this by helping each other identify your weaknesses, any unchristlikeness you might have, and help each other grow closer to Christ. So marriage is ministry. Then you take the same ministry mentality and bring it to your kids. Identify their weaknesses and help them to be a Christ tree as well. And after that, we're supposed to widen our circle of ministry to fellow believers, then the needy, then the rest of the world. And yes, sharing the love of Christ also includes online. So think of it this way. If a stranger looks at your profile, will they see the love of Christ or will they see you complaining about your life or sharing inciting things or being political? So here's the practical application in all this. Look into your life and look at all three locations. In the kitchen of your mind, study more about Christ through the Bible, church, websites, books, and podcasts. In the bowl of your heart, daily work on the weaknesses that you have in the fruit of the Spirit. And on your plate... Show more of the love of Christ in your marriage, family, church, relationships, and to the needy. So the big question at the end of the day is, do you reflect the love of Christ wherever you go? In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the Corinth with these words. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And so the Bible itself challenges all Christians to say, are you a follower of Christ? Does your life look different because you are a follower of Christ? Right. Because listen to what Christ said. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian loves Christ. First, a Christian loves the person, truths, and commands of Christ in the kitchen of their mind. And second, a Christian loves to display Christ in their life in the bowl of their heart. And lastly, a Christian loves others with the love of Christ on the plate of their relationships. So, next time you have chips and salsa, you'll be reminded on what the meaning of life is and what the meaning of being a Christian is, which is to fulfill your God-given meaning, which is to... Love God, love others. That's it. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Oh, no. 
Tell a friend about this episode and remember to subscribe to the Fast God Stuff podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And please check out fastgodstuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you make some spicy salsa. (laughs) Until next time, love God, love others. That's That's it. it.